Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Kendall's a really good offensive coordinator. I mean, everybody can sit around at home and say, oh, I wouldn't have called this. Well, he wouldn't either if he'd known it wasn't going to work. But the guy's an incredible offensive coordinator, and I'm damn happy that he's the offensive coordinator here at Arkansas. I wanted to start with that clip because I know that it hits home personally for me that I was really questioning whether Kendall Bryles was going to be able to get the job done, at least in terms of what he had done previously at, at Baylor, at Florida Atlantic, at Houston, didn't really get a chance to get things going at Florida State. But we have seen that this offense can click on the road. They've proven that even in losses, but they finally got some offense going at home, just under 200 yards rushing, over 400 total yards. Felipe Franks was great in the second half. Couldn't really get much going in the first, but as this team, again, has showed, they are, I would say, probably put them in the category of a second-half team six games into the season. And Porter, really not much more to say that other than spectacular how this offense was in the third quarter. The offense and defense both were. The defense gave up no points. The offense scored 24, the most that they had in an SEC game since Mississippi State in 2016. We've got so many things that we've put together. You've got that SEC win for the first time in so long. You've got one at home. You finally are, are getting, getting over the hump of not going three and out on your first drive. Now you get to that point where you're going to win. You're going to try to win back-to-back games, and I think this offense is feeling pretty good. Yeah, I mean, amazing game, amazing performance. I mean, you're down 10 nothing, and everybody's like, oh, here we go again, and, you know, criticizing Bryles and, you know, Odom, and, you know, did we jump the gun too soon on calling him coordinator of the year? But, man – the adjustments. This is a team that are, is finally going into halftime and they're making halftime adjustments. I mean, you look at the third quarter alone. That won them the game. The third quarter alone, they allowed 16 yards rushing and two yards passing and no first downs. Now, they had 13 first downs in the first half and only had six in the second half. 
Yeah, if that doesn't tell you, and you know, we we alluded to what the key was. I mean, then they didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. You know, they just come up flat out play defense. But but last week, you know, me and Ty was talking about Catalan being out and the impact. I mean, you've seen the impact of Catalan being on the field, bumper pull. I mean, all them guys had double digit tackles, and just everybody criticizing, you know, Bryles and and, and Odom and and. Pittman said it flat, you know, perfectly. Well, if he knew it wasn't working, he wouldn't have called the play. So I think as much as the knee-jerk – people want to say the knee-jerk reaction of, well, did we hire the right guy? Is he the right coordinator? I think you need to take a look back and look at – let the second half play out. And, I mean, they basically – it's almost like they listened to what everybody was saying in, in, in the comments and they shut everybody up. Yeah, and uh, I've, I've – Definitely, again, as I mentioned at the opening, I was not necessarily against Kendall Bryles uh, coming on board. There were some things that uh, off the field that really concerned me. I, I, I won't get into that right now. You can you can hit me in my DMs if you want to talk about it, but that's a whole other story for another different pod. But I, I've known that the guy was a great offensive mind. I think that everybody has shown that. Uh, everybody has seen that from the places that he was previously. But it's just like there there would seem to be a spark that this offense would get rolling and then it would just go away because, well, a lot of the times this year, it's because they've tried to trick play in a place that they had no business pulling that or so we thought, but I thought Sam said it really good uh, in the, in the opening there that it's real easy for us to say, okay, well, why did we do this? Why did we do that? I think some of it is because at, at this point right now, and the, I think it was Tom Hart or Jordan Rogers, one of the two guys announcing last night had mentioned that he had to, that Kendall had to realize coming into the SEC, especially immediately, you're not going to get these big-time 20, 30, 40-plus-yard plays all the time. You're going to have to settle with three- to five-yard plays. And I think that's what he is really starting to get comfortable with. And as he gets more and more into it, as, the, as he gets to know his team more, he's starting to realize that. And another thing I want to really give credit to is the crowd. There was about 17,000 people there last night. I want to touch on that real quick. Uh, I know that some of that was noise pumped in, but and I saw a lot of you uh, that I follow on Twitter or friends with on Facebook that attended the game. I think that's great. You guys definitely made a difference. And while we're on that subject, I want to talk about why you guys may not be at the game because they are not allowing full capacity. You can always get on the action at betonline.ag. From game spreads, totals, to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can also get involved virtually through the online casino that never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag to sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And Porter, touching on just what we were talking about, I think from my personal perspective, I was wondering where that stuff was. And I think a lot of people felt like this, is where was those high-octane plays that you had seen from Baylor, from Florida Atlantic, and I guess you could say Houston as well didn't have the greatest success at Florida State. But that kind of touches back on with my previous point is I think that we have a lot of – I've said it many times, and that's another thing I think that many would agree with. We've got some of the horses on offense to run what Kendall is trying to do. Traylon Burks has been phenomenal this year. Davion Warren has stepped up when you needed him to. Felipe Franks has been really good. Haven't seen a lot from Rakeem Boyd. I know he's been hurt here and there. Traylon, Traylon Smith is hopefully going to see the ball a lot more as we get into Florida and the rest of the games. But I'm just not, I'm still not sold maybe that we have the offensive line 
to do exactly what Kendall is wanting to do. I think that they've shown improvement, but I think that is still an area that we are really struggling at. Yeah, and other than the offensive line, I think a lot of questions was the tight end play. <clears throat> and I think that goes into, you know, when you get down in the red zone, and if we could only be critical about one big thing other than the trick plays and getting cute is, you know, the red zone offense. And I think the tight ends actually came to play last night. They had some good, you know, good passes, good slants. And so you're putting this drive together and you've got these dogs and then you get down in the red zone. Now the defense shrinks in, you need your tight ends to step up. And that was one of the biggest questions. I mean, you know, they're switching Blaine told from defense to offense to tight end and really wasn't sure, but you know, Kern stepping up along Hudson Henry, I think you need two good tight ends just as much as you need two wide receivers, because we seen that last week in the Texas A&M game. You know, Warren really wasn't as productive last week, and it's all falling on Knox's hands. And, you know, you can only do so much. Now you've got the speedster and Devion Warren along with, with Burks. You know, now you've got Boyd when he's struggling. You've got freaking Traylon Smith to come in and step up. So all these guys that are have been not getting them, it's playing time. Now they're starting to step up. They're starting to get comfortable in the offense. And I, I think that's what's really been the biggest turnaround was tonight we were full strength on, on – I mean, excuse me, last night was full strength on offense. I mean, you know, freaking Felipe Franks is just – the way he's commanding this offense. And, you know, the question I want to ask fans is – and I'll ask you this too, Kyle. You know, as a fan, it is a lot of it you're just – kind of afraid to let it go like okay this team's good you're afraid to kind of you know you're, you're breaking down that wall of man I really want to give my all in the hope of this team and you're still kind of scared to just go all in in, in hopes of the team not letting you down from just my perspective I think the reason why I'm having trouble now I do believe in this team I believe that this team could be in any game that they play this year that's including this coming week against Florida arguably made a case for, I, I don't know, I would quite say the best team in the SEC, but 100% top 10. You got Alabama, A&M, and Florida in there. So I think that uh, they're going to go, they're going to compete very hard against Florida. We won't get into score predictions yet. But I, I'm at the point where, so you know that before the season started, I said that this is going to be about a one-win team. I, I think that they can compete with anybody, that they can beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, which is what they have done, really, I guess, even surpassed that. But I still don't trust special teams. I still don't trust the offensive line fully. I think that they've done a pretty good job of, of pass blocking. I, I do say – I will say that that has definitely improved last year. As bad as they were, run blocking was more of a strength than passing. It's flip-flopped. I'm not 100% sure that I believe in this team if we saw – I shouldn't say I don't believe in this team. I don't believe in this team to take that next step that some fans have put them on. We saw what happened when Jalen Catalan is not in the game to patrol the middle of the field there. So I, I'm, I don't think that – I still think that depth is a question. Uh, even though that they have stepped up against Mississippi State, against Ole Miss, against Tennessee, some of those guys that were walk-ons that have done so well, Simeon Blair, Hudson Clark, we've talked about all of them. I think 100% that this team could finish five – that they could, they could finish five and five. 500 team beyond surpassed expectations. I believe that that would certainly vet Sam Pittman in strong consideration for the coach of the year in the SEC. He won't get it, but special teams is a big reason why. And also too, we haven't complete, like we, we have rushed for 200, an average of 200 yards the, the last two games, but 
as far as competing with the people past the old misses and the Vanderbilts, I know some we didn't play Vanderbilt, but getting into that middle pack of the SEC, I'm not quite ready to put them there yet. Yeah, and, and that was the goal. You know, when, when they started rebuilding this team, that they said we got to beat the Mississippi schools. You know, start there and work your way up. And, you know, now they've done that. And what's funny is we can go back to, you know, and Co- Coach Bielema was here. You know, he had a goal. He said to be successful, he was trying to get a 200-200. He wanted 200 yards passing, 200 yards rushing. You know, they did that. I mean, they they almost rushed for 200 yards last night and had over 200 yards passing. You get that balanced attack, and they're starting to kind of break out of their shell. And, you know, a, a point I wanted to make with the Texas A&M game, and it you know, kind of goes to next week's game against Florida. When you're playing against a team that is, you know, physically better than you, a team that's – but you've got to get turnovers. You have to get pressure and you have to get turnovers because then it makes the game even. And I think that's going to be the biggest key. If they're going to want to stay in the game next weekend, you know, they're going to have to force some turnovers, you know, score in the red zone. You cannot get down 10 nothing on Florida. I mean, they hung up 38 points in the first half against Georgia. Now they let them kind of sneak back in and make it a little bit closer game. But I mean, you can't, you can't let a team like Florida, especially when coming off a big win like Georgia and they get up on you 10, 17 points, it's going to be over by halftime. And I was about to touch into the defense, but before we do, I wanted to, uh, you had mentioned Hudson Henry and, and Blake Kern, the way that they've stepped up tied in was outside or maybe along with linebacker was the two main concerns that I think everybody had going into the season and they haven't blown you out of the water, but they've done exactly what's been asked of them to do. And I want to specifically point out what Hudson Henry was able to do only three catches for 16 yards, but he was in, very much pain you could tell he was basically limping once the play was over but you couldn't even tell during the play he was getting some key blocks he caught a couple of key passes that I think one of them went for a touchdown one of them got us with to a second or third and one second and one and so he made a lot of key plays Kern had the first touchdown reception of his career has really picked it up in the receiving game we already knew that he was a great blocker and so that's one area there that it's just like man if we can just get this offensive line to play consistently in both areas you'd feel really good about where the offense is. Yeah, and before you know, before we go to defense, I want to touch on you know Felipe Franks. I think he's starting to get more comfortable in his throws. I mean, you look at those two dimes he threw, just a flick of the wrist, and that that to me is one of the most beautiful things in an offense is when that quarterback drops back in the pocket, just flicks his wrist forty yards down the field, and it just floats and it's right on the money. I think if he really gets comfortable and he gets enough, you know the O-line blocking around him gives him time to throw, that, that's going to open up those big plays. You know, if you're not getting the, the offensive line to hold, then you're going to have to go to those quick throws. And I think that's what a lot of the – where they're saying they're not going to get the 20, 34-yard plays because you got to protect the quarterback long enough to where he can set that up. And, I, and he's shown what he can do when he has time to throw the ball. And I'm really not shocked that he's done this. I know that I was a little hard on him during the offseason, but as hard as I was on him, I said many times that he's got the arm, he's got the frame. NFL scouts, I wouldn't say they're salivating over him, but they're definitely interested, as Jim Nagy had reported. The, I believe he's the senior director, or he's the director for the Senior Bowl. But either way, a guy that has big – connected really well uh, within the NFL, likes him a lot, and uh, he's getting a lot of attention from the pros. And he's showing exactly what 
it, as you said, man, that throw to Traylon towards the le- as Traylon was going towards the the left sideline and then ended up taking in for the touchdown. I mean, we've seen that many times this season and in previous seasons when he was at Florida. And I feel what I've broken it down to, I think that a lot of people still have that little bit of skepticism in the back of their mind. And I still have it from time to time because the stuff that he does or doesn't do like throw the ball away when he should take too many chances. He did really well running it against A&M, but it's just like, if he could just get over that hump, I mean, but I can't say enough. I really can't say enough about how well he has done. I'm beyond pleased with how he's guided this offense. You talked about that. And speaking of guiding the offense, that was another question that people had was how mature was he going to be? You saw kind of made some boneheaded mistakes in terms of between plays and kind of taunting and all that. We haven't seen that this year. We have seen a strictly business fleet. Uh, You know, I think he's carried himself very professionally and it's shown within the, I think Sam Pittman, as we mentioned before, has rubbed off on this team and especially quarterback. And that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, that's the culture. You know, talent can only get you so far. I mean, when you're seeing – I mean, it's awesome to me after the game, you're seeing the players tweet out how happy they are. And and you you could see everybody's bought in. The ones who aren't, you know, they're opting out or they're on the sidelines. You know, they are where they are on the depth chart. You know, you got these people – because, you know, we could have easily said that, you know, Franks is going to come in, go through the motions and try to get, uh, you know, drafted. But he's really bought into this team and he's really taken that – captain role because as a quarterback especially you know when, when you want to go to the NFL they're not just looking at your ability they're looking at your character because they're about to invest millions of dollars in you running an offense you know they're they're putting you in control of their team and you got to look how you hold yourself on the on the field off the field your command and I think he's really started doing that and he, his maturity has has grown and that's a huge foul. I think I've mentioned it on on this pod before, long, long time ago. But that is something that NFL scouts really do look. I mean, they you can have all that. I understand that there's a lot of guys that have questionable ca- character on NFL rosters right now, but that does play a part. And we saw that especially with CJ O'Grady. These guys do their homework, and I think that ultimately that C.J. O'Grady never got a shot with an NFL team because there was a lot of people that NFL scouts reached out to. And I'm not trying to single them out. I'm just making an example. And, uh, I mean, I can confirm uh, from former teammates of mine that played in the NFL that they contacted coaches all the way back to your peewee level. So maturity is a big thing, and and Felipe has really shown a lot of that this year along with this entire team. And they're just – all of them are business as usual. And uh, but they're also having fun with it, and that's the thing. Yes. You see the lot. You see the locker room celebrations. You know, turn that damn jukebox up, as that's just become the, the catchphrase for Sam Pittman. And uh, they 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 enjoy it while they're in the locker room, as you always should a victory. And you know what? I guarantee you, Florida is the only thing on their mind right now. And so uh, as we switch over to defense, Porter, this when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about on the defensive side of the ball. When you see teams like Tennessee, now Jared Garantano, I don't think he actually had a ho- – his stats were not good at all, but he was doing everything up until when he got hurt and they played two other quarterbacks. He was doing everything you asked him to do, five of eight, 42 yards. He was moving. They were trying to run the ball, and they did that for 135 yards in the first half. And I told you guys in our group chat after Eric Gray was – and guys, Eric Gray, this guy was not just a great – I mean – a good running back. He is a really, really great running back. I'm pretty sure that he was like a top 50, top 60 player in the 2019, sometime four or five star kid. So Tennessee has 
underratedly recruited, uh, not just the offensive line. We heard about all those four and five stars, but just all the way around. And I thought that it was going to be typically like you see, just try to run the ball down your throat like they did in the first half, and it was going to wear down the defense. It was the complete opposite. It was looking like Eric Gray was shot out of a cannon in the first half, and then in the second half, they allowed around the 40-yard mark. And just stepped at Jonathan Marshall, uh, Julius Coates, Matteo Soli, all these guys, Eric, uh, was it Eric Gregory, that just uh, got the pick, the uh, interception. These guys, as the game went on, instead of getting worn down, they got more and more pumped up. And they showed it with how phenomenal they were, as we talked about in the third quarter, and to finish the game. Yeah, and you, you notice in the in the first half, you know, it, he was getting shot out of the cannon because the daggum holes that were open, were, me and you combined could run hand in hand through these holes. You know, it, it goes to, you know, where they were trying to key on what the offense was going to do when in halftime and they readjusted and they started closing those gaps and it showed and, you know, and you don't get the run game going. I mean, that especially if you rely on run heavy, it makes – you go back to that, you know, the second choice or B, option B of what we're going to do with our offense. And, man, when they started bringing in other quarterbacks and, and Garantano got hurt and, you know, they're switching it, you knew that then that the, I knew that the game was in hand because you're trying to get this guy to come in. He, he's not getting in the flow, so you bring another guy in. And, you know, the defense really stepped up when they needed to. And, I mean, to, to allow seven points, I believe, in, in the second half. One question I have, if you've noticed Mateo Soli has the club on his hand again, I'm really wondering if it, <laughs> I mean, he had it on all season. I know this is so random sort of, but like he had it on all season last year and you would think that it would heal. And I, I don't believe he had it on at the beginning of the season, but maybe that's just, I, he didn't have a sack last year. And I don't think he's recorded one yet as a Razorback, but maybe like I'm almost thinking he's preferred. Not really, but it's just interesting that he's got it back again this year. Yeah, and you kind of use anything you can get away with in a, in a, a what to say, loophole or, you know, oh, I st- I'm using it for protection. But, you know, I misspoke, and, you know, they didn't allow any points in the second half at all. You know, they, they scored those 10 points in the second half, but it just shows you what this def- – what Odom can do, and it, it almost – and this is not dissing the team at all. It just makes you happy of, like, once these players get some talent – you know, they get some recruits in that they can sub in and, and really get a good rotation, like a good third down rotation to get the stops and bring those fresh guys in. This team's going to, I'm telling you, this team's going to be scary. Yeah, that's one thing that we've harped on as well, talking about just how important that is. You look at dominant teams in the SEC, the ones at the top and the ones that compete year in and year out. Your Floridas, your Georgias, your Alabamas. I guess you this year you can put Texas A&M in that category that have recruited consistent force. And it's not always about the stars. Now, you're going to find plenty of diamonds in the roughs that are threes. But the point is, is that you we don't – we just realistically do not have – a two deep that can that can consistently win the big games for us. We again we've shown that that we can do that against the Ole Misses, the Mississippi States, the Van. Well, again we didn't play in Vanderbilt, but the Tennessees and Porter. You said that that was what we were asking for, and that was why Sam Pittman was brought in to get us out of that cellar to to catapult us to that next level and keep us back to where we were during the Houston Nut days. Now I know under Bobby Petrino that was some of the best success that we had seen in the school of history, but we didn't realize what we had and uh, with Houston Nut because and I, I don't mean to harp on that either, but just pointing out that 
you you stay at that that point where you're like, okay, at least we're we're going to win the games that we're supposed to win, at least in most cases. And I feel like that's where this team is right now. And you're going to have to take that second half defense that you had played against Tennessee and really elevate it to a whole nother level because going into Gainesville next week, you're playing maybe the hottest team. I would say probably the hottest team in the SEC right now, just my personal opinion, in the Florida Gators. Porter against Georgia. Kyle Trask was just phenomenal, as he has been all season, one of the top contenders for the Heisman this year. 341 yards, four touchdowns in the first half, completed passes to 10 different receivers. Our, our offense in particular has played really well on the road, so maybe Felipe can get in a duel with his former uh, former teammate, guy that he had in the, in the room with him, Kyle Trask, that eventually took over for him once he got hurt. It's going to be an uphill battle for the Razorbacks this weekend in Gainesville. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, twenty-four points is not going to get you the game against Florida. I mean, I mean, they have to get you know those shut down those long drives. I just I don't think that we've seen enough pressure. I don't know what their offensive lines at like at Florida, but I mean, it's going to be one of them. Returnovers is going to be key. You have to score in the red zone. You have to. I mean, keep the ball. I mean, make those long drives. You don't have to sit there and get those. I mean, you keep that offense off the field as much as possible and be as successful as you can with your offense. I mean, they have a chance to make this competitive. You know, like we both said earlier, we're not going to make a score prediction yet. You know, there's still a lot left to you know because we need to see the injuries and all that. But yeah, it's definitely going to be either. I think it's going to be their toughest task. I mean, I know you know Texas A and M. But we thought Arkansas had a chance to win that game, and they have a chance to be competitive. They might shock the world and beat them. But yeah, coming off the huge because Florida, that Florida Georgia game's huge. I mean, that's you know that's that's a big game. So for them to win that and win it in the fashion that they did, I mean, Florida is that team that everybody jokes about that when they play in that big game, that they can't seem to come through. They're always good, but they always seem to be overrated. And they finally got that monkey off their back. They won that big, big time game that they were supposed to win and won it in, I mean, great fashion. I was hoping that it was going to be one of those slugfests, like what we used to see with LSU and Bama, and then we would get LSU, and that really helped us in the game against them, particularly in 2014 and 2015. But it just seemed like Florida beat them with ease. Now, I understand that Georgia's got a really tough quarterback situation on their hands like Dewan Mask, great athlete just really can't get the offense rolling Stetson but he got it a little bit a little bit revved up compared to what Stetson Bennett was able to do but JT Daniels you just got to figure he's not healthy the the fact that they're not playing him at all he hasn't gotten a single snap this year so Georgia's got a really tough quarterback situation on their hands but yeah it just seemed like Florida really did it with ease they they didn't even seem winded but a few things that I am looking at it in a positive manner, and I'll start with you mentioned injuries. Now, I would never celebrate an injury, but in terms of helping the Razorbacks, at least one to keep an eye on is tight end Kyle Pitts from Florida. He didn't play in the second half. As we're recording, we don't know his status. I think he's without question the best hand, best tight end in the country. It's not even close. Uh, but that's we saw what Jalen Waldemar from Texas A and M did to us. <sighs> that's going to be a real tough matchup yeah. if he is to go. But some positives, Felipe Franks, again, has done a really good job leading this offense on the road. You're going to have to get off to a fast start. You're not going to be able to play catch-up like you had to do against A&M or even against Tennessee uh, on Saturday. And it, you know that this is going to be – he, he's going to play it off. Sam Pittman's going to play it off like it's just another game, like, like you always should as a player or a coach. But 
people got to remember, I think that he and Kyle Trask have a very high amount of respect for each other, but Felipe got hurt last year and Kyle Trask came in and the team did look at that time. I understand they were three and three and oh, whenever Felipe went down, but Trask took another level. And you got to understand, you got to know that again, even though they have an immense amount of respect for each other, that's got to get Felipe personally as a, a competitor that he is. Yeah, definitely. And, and the biggest thing with Franks is, you know, he, he can't get overhyped. You know, you get really overhyped for these games and you come in your nerves, you're throwing high balls, you know, you're making, you're, you're not checking down, you're just getting rid of the ball. And he, he's got to, you know, take all week and think about this game, think about what you want to do. But when it's time to step on that field, it's almost like you've got to, you've got to just take a chill pill, calm down, control your offense, because that's another thing that could get them, you know, down 14 in a hurry is if they score, you know, Frank gets really hyped up. He's throwing the ball. They go three and out, and Florida scores again. I mean, it could go from a, a competitive game to getting out of hand quick. So, I think a lot of this, personally, this is we, we're talking about the maturity. I think this is really going to test his maturity and see where he's at and, and see where he can really, you know, control the offense and show Florida like, man, I, I'm still, I still got it. You know, Trask has done a good job in taking the offense over. And maybe even if Felipe Franks would have stayed at Florida, Trask would have still, you know, been the man. And I think that's why he decided to come to Arkansas, but you know, he, he's still got something to prove not only to the NFL scouts, but he wants to prove to himself that he can go out there and beat that team and the, the maturity and the calm, you know, staying poised. That's going to be the biggest key to him next weekend. I want to, as we close out the first segment here, I want to ask you that it's something I put on my Facebook post. There's some thoughts that, that I had for the game, and I closed it out with, as much as I love Rakeem Boyd, I think it might be possibly time to get Traylon Smith the start. Now, you would expect that he's going to get plenty more carries, plenty more touches, whether it be receptions or rushes. But just from your perspective, do you think that it might be time to at least ex experiment with that? Well, and, and I don't know, because, I mean, a lot of me is you, you don't know what type of player they are, you know, and we see this a lot in basketball. A guy plays better coming off the bench than he does starting. So maybe – Desi, Desi Sills. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he might be one of them players that, you know, he, he knows that he comes off the bench and he gets in there and, and, and gets in the second part of the rotation and, and balls out. But if, if he's definitely proven himself he deserves to start because they just – the boy just hasn't been able to seem to get those consistent runs going. And, you know, if the man's hot, give him a chance. But I think that's going to be in, in Sam Pittman and Kendall Braz, man, they're very upfront, especially Sam Pittman. I think if it come down to it, they're going to have that conversation and ask him, you know, what he wants to do. And if he feels like he's, he's got enough confidence to carry the team and get the start, he, he'll definitely get it. And I definitely trust this coaching staff a lot more than I did the previous two. If, as using the term feeding your horses, I think that Paul Petrino had initially said that years ago, but Chad Morris didn't do it. Bielema did it some, minus TJ Hammonds and a few others, but I think this coaching staff has done, they've realized what they have with Traylon Burks. They use Davion Warren appropriately. You may not get loads of touches all the time, but they use them appropriately. I think they're going to figure out ways to use Traylon Smith appropriately, continue to do that, um, even if he is not starting. And so we'll have more coverage of that on Friday's show. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Porter, I know you're really excited for the next segment. You and Kevin had a, a pretty cool interview with former Razorback guard Jalen Barford. Just talk a little about that 
uh, before we head over to, to, to listen. Oh, man, it was a good conversation, you know, just catching up to him. You know, he's about to head to Egypt next week. So, you know, it's just really awesome to get to talk to a former Razorback, talk about, you know, the, the atmosphere and, you know, what he thinks about the current coaching staff. Of course, you know, he's he's been in the – the TBT tournament, the summer men's league out there for $2 million the past two years. So, you know, we touched on that and, and he had something very interesting to say, you know, I can't, you know, wait for y'all to listen to the interview about what it takes to be in that tournament, you know, where you got to be mentally to play against grown men for $2 million. So I can't wait for y'all to listen to that. Yeah, it's always great talking with former Razorbacks and, and Jalen especially. I know that he was one of the more recent stars uh, that played uh, one of the last teams uh, that under Mike Anderson and was on that team that, that should have gotten past uh, North Carolina in 2017 to advance to the Sweet 16. But um, again, always love talking to former Razorbacks here and where they're at now and, and talk about their playing days or even if they're still playing, uh, hearing about that too. But Guys, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. We're on everywhere you listen, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, whichever you prefer. And, and while you're there, guys, if you could please leave us a written review. It really helps us get good good or bad feedback if we need to, uh, things that we need to do better at or just all feedback is welcome. And uh, it also helps us to reach more people. And, and again, we're uh, very proud to be on the Believe Podcast Network to hit that line, ESPN Arkansas. It's just been great. We've had some awesome things happen in 2020, and, and uh, it's great to have you guys along for the ride for that. So stay tuned for the next segment. We will be right back. The Hawk Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479 479- 368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. Welcome back to episode 136 of the Hog Talk podcast, where we'll go to the Workman's Travel Center hotline and welcome in former Razorback star and TBT Jackson TN underdog standout Jalen Bartford. Man, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Doing good, sir. So, so recently you signed to play in Egypt, and you're going to be heading out next week or, or the 14th, what I heard. You know, what's the preparation been like getting ready to play overseas? And, you know, what obstacles have you faced and protocols with everything going on with the global pandemic? Uh, just trying to, you know, stay in shape as much as possible. Uh, I picked up on my workouts a little bit more heavier. Uh, I started doing three days maybe two weeks ago. I'm at the weight that I want to be at to play at. Um, and, you know, this year just been kind of crazy, of course, because of COVID. You know, uh, didn't get to finish the season last year in Italy. Came home a little bit earlier than expected. So, we've been home probably about maybe six, seven months. And just, you know, just trying to stay in shape has been the hardest thing. You know, gyms and stuff were closed for a little minute. 
Yeah, it's been, it's been rough. But, you know, strong survive. So I survived the COVID, I think. <laughs> Talk about, you know, recruits and kids coming out of college now have a lot more options. They can go overseas. They have the G League. It's not just the NBA or buzz. Talk about kind of your path and how it's kind of, and just give a little advice to those kids coming out of college now that their basketball career doesn't have to be over with. I would say uh, just, you know, just stay focused, you know, uh, just go with, with your heart, I would say, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, because your parents can't uh, go to school with you. Uh, they don't, they're not with you in practice or 6 a.m. condition and stuff like that. So just, you know, just, um, just stick with your mind and your heart and just uh, follow up on the G League situation. I think um, a high school player in the G League now is, I say it's opening the door for a lot of kids, especially the high level uh, prospects. But they still have to realize that uh, there are grown men in that league as well. So it's just you got to prepare yourself for those situations if you uh, plan on making that decision. So coming out of Motlow State, where you were all American, you know, what led you to go to Arkansas and what was the recruiting process like, to, you know, compared to what you had at Motlow State? Hello, State. Uh, it, it was great. It was uh, it was a rough two years for me, of course. It was junior college, uh, but it, it made me to uh, grow up quicker. I was probably the youngest player on my team, so I had a lot of older guys. There was uh, 23, 24, maybe one that was 28, uh, had families and stuff like that. So I understood the grind and the, the hard work you had to put in just to – and feed the family and just go to school and play basketball at the same time. So they helped me a lot. And just uh, my recruitment process was great. Uh, Arkansas actually had recruited me at high school. I remember Coach T.J. Cleveland. They came and watched me at a game or two. They just uh, stuck with me my whole career. Uh, my little state, we always stayed in touch. And, and on my visit, I just felt like I was at home. It was a great visit. You know, uh, uh, I think they end up – they played – Texas Tech on my visit. I don't know if they won or not, but it was crazy. Though. I remember that. And it was just a great atmosphere. You know, the team was great. And um, I feel like I made the right decision in the best two years of my life. I always say that. You guys seem to have a lot of chemistry when you're at Arkansas, and especially in front of that home crowd. Talk a little bit about the time there and how the, the fans at Bud Walton Arena, you know, played an impact and how you all performed, especially during SEC games. Amazing. It was just uh, to be able to play in front of those uh, 20,000 almost every SEC game or home game. It was crazy, uh, the dedication. And uh, some people had to drive hours just to come see us. So it was it was pretty crazy. And uh, just the team we have a special both years, actually. I feel like we could have made a deeper run in the tournament, but uh, stuff happened. So, you know, we just uh, – but we had a great team. We all jailed. We all um, – Spent a lot of time off the court together. That's what made us so special. We always went to eat and stuff like that. The chemistry was great. But, uh, yeah, it was – the fans are great, though. Probably the best fans in the, in the country, I would say. Yeah, talk about the atmosphere. You know, we've heard what former players and then the last year with the Kentucky game on what the Kentucky players said about just how loud it was. You know, give give us a perspective of – just how loud Bud Walton can get. And, you know, how is that going to transition to this year where they're only going to allow 4,000 fans in the stadium? 
on this four thousand fans this year. Yep. Oh, Breaking news. God. Yeah. That's gonna be bad then. But that's uh, that's a that's a game changer right there. I'm not gonna lie to you because I remember uh, first SEC game against Tennessee. It was number twenty one in the country. And it was snowing outside, freezing outside, maybe like 20 degrees. So crowd. Best game. I feel like it's a top three game in Bud Walton, if you ask me. Because the crowd was so loud, you couldn't even hear Coach uh, Anderson talk really in the huddle. Especially when we came back from down maybe 10. But that 4,000 fans is going to hurt this year for sure. So, Lee, talking about this this year's Arkansas team, you got a really you got a new dynamic with Coach Musselman, how he works the transfer portal, and you got a crop of freshmen that are coming in. How th- how long do you think it'll take those guys to jail, and can they get a good chemistry together to where they'll be able to make a successful run? Uh, I would say they should. I feel like they'll be good this year just because they had the uh, the time. With each other, and most of them play with AAU together, I think, too. So, uh, it's been, you know, it's going to be uh, great to see. I mean, because of COVID, I think it gave them a little extra time just to practice and uh, get to know each other and gel together, especially the transfers as well. But I think it's going to be a great year for them. I mean, it might be a little rough games here and there, especially the road games, because they'll get together, I'd say, second part of the season for sure. They had rough patches in the beginning. So let's talk about your time. You know, you've played two seasons now in the TBT tournament. And for those fans who aren't familiar with the TBT, I've, I've actually followed it for about four or five years now. You know, what, what preparation is different going to that knowing that you were about to go into a tournament playing for $2 million prize? Uh, no. You shouldn't have no motivation. You just be locked in every game, I think. <laughs> I mean, like, it's $2 million on the line. I think what you play, six games? So – if you if you're not ready for the TBT, I would say you don't need to be even trying to play if you're not locked in. Like, <laughs> there's no errors for no turnovers, really. Not too many like bad mistakes. Every every like every play is key. It's like the NCAA tournament for me, honestly. Do you, Do you think it has staying power? Do you think this will, this tournament will be around for a while? Oh yeah, for sure. I think so because I mean. Especially with this year ha- happened, I think there was a big year for the TBT that they pulled off the bubble. So I mean, it made people more, you know, aware of it at least because it was the only thing that was on TV, sports-wise. So I think that that lasts for a very long time. I think the money will go up too. So talk about you know this year and you know kind of the disappointment of not being able to really participate and you know you prepare for that you know you get your mindset of going on that for that two million dollars and. You know, you and also, you know, your fellow, you know, Razorback Dusty Hannes, you know, not being able to play. How how was that? Uh, it was tough, you know, uh, just to watch. I still watch the uh, tournament, but it was tough. I seen some great games, some uh, great players that played. Uh, I was a fan of a couple players. It was fun to watch, though, just to see uh, them play and compete at a high level, of course, especially for months and not being able to play. And a lot of us was from overseas, so our season got cut short. Just seeing uh, first-time players such as Joe play, it was great to see that and get that experience. Talk about guys you were really big fans of. Who have you modeled your game after, you know, old-school pro, new-school pro? 
who have you really modeled your game after and who do you really look to? Uh, I would say uh, Gilbert Arenas. Damian Lillard, of course. I like Drew Holiday. I like Lou Williams, too. So. Hey, Drew Holiday might get traded this morning, came out. Yeah, I see. You know, I hope he goes to the Lakers, though. If he goes to the Lakers, they're going to be on. Like, uh, that's a, that's, I, say, I, say, I say a 3P if he goes to the Lakers. Yeah. Oh, man. So, uh, when you're going overseas, are they going to try to do a similar kind of bubble atmosphere over there, or is it going to be more like a, a league situation? I don't think it's going to be like a bubble situation, especially in Egypt, because they said that uh, the COVID not that bad over there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't know until I get over there. I think I might have to quarantine for maybe a couple of days just for, uh, just because. So that's how they go. So have you been to Egypt before, or is this going to be a, a new experience for you playing over there? Uh, this is gonna be a new experience for me. I heard it's a great experience, and I heard it don't get too cold over there, so I'm excited about that. Just to wake up and see the sun every morning, I like I love to see the sun. So I'm just I'm a, I'm excited though. It's been a long wait, you know. I've been patient. Uh, just staying ready, really. That's all you can do, especially in this time of COVID. Just stay ready and just be prepared. So talk about you know. Some of the things you prepared for this, you know, going to Egypt, you played in the Truth Basketball League. What was it like playing down there in in Arkadelphia? Oh, it's, it's been it's been smooth. It's been nice, y'all. I said, it's, it's actually, uh, they say it's probably this year was a great league. This year, a couple of us been playing in it, uh, such as me, Archie Goodwin, uh, Anton Beard, and a couple more high level players that's played in it. So it's been good. It's competitive too. It's also for money. I think it's like ten thousand, so every game really count and, and take it serious. So I think it's been good just to stay in shape and be able to have a like a game situation type of type of atmosphere. You know, the fans be there and, and they have a shot clock too, so that's a plus. So it's been good though; it's been fun. So tell us about the difference. You know, playing in the, you know you've played overseas, played for Arkansas, and you know, played in the TBT, and then you play in this Truth League. I mean, is there that added pressure to really perform in a, in a league like the Truth League where it's, a, you know, you got a lot of high-profile players, but yet it's more of a localized basketball league? Yeah, I feel, I feel like uh, every time I step on the court, I mean, uh, people expect me to do some things. So, I feel like I have to bring my A game every game, like, you know, even if it's from uh, a fan or a little kid or – with my mom, no matter a girlfriend, so I just uh just gotta stay prepared and just you know just go out there and play every play like like it's a game. I would say just just score the ball and play defense and win games. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure you know have to be on the defense. So everybody's gonna try to give you their best shot. Oh yeah, for sure. Everybody every day is a every every weekend is a is a is a matchup for me always. Somebody trying to play me harder. Deny me from getting the ball or something. So it's been it's been great though. I have fun. I've been having fun in the league. It's good. Well, well Jaylen, you know we'll wrap it up, and we, we really appreciate your time coming on. We look forward to seeing what you're going to be able to do in Egypt. We'll definitely be following your progress. So again, thank you for your time today, man. I appreciate you guys. Take care, Jaylen.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.